Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. I'm LR here with Benji for the double header. First, Volta Algarve and then Vuelta Andalusia, also known as Ruta del Sol. And two dot pro races in the Iberian Peninsula. Everyone in the peloton that doesn't currently have COVID is at these races or in the Middle East yeah. right now uh, before UAE Tour in about four days. So Algarve, very odd profile for a five-stage race. It has a 32-kilometer rolling TT on stage four. But today, so that'll just, with even a pole here, Tobias Foss and Nolte. Jose Neves, even <laughs> a pole's the big, big favorite. But stage one was a sprint stage. It had a couple of uh, shallow climbs in the middle of the stage, a little kicker close to the finish, some crosswinds, some roundabouts. But it was a sprint stage, and to be honest, I mentioned Evenepoel. They brought mainly a sprint train, Asgren de Klerk, Jakobsen Lampard van Leeuwenhoek for uh, yeah for the sprints, and Evenepoel for the last man. But break went Benji, and it was the opposite of Andalusia. It was very strictly controlled. Yeah, and it's also the kind of breakaway very logical for a race like this. We've got a start list here where we have teams like W52. We've got ABTF, Ferense, Radio Popular, Tafer, those are Portuguese local teams that are also participating and they want to show themselves in a in a race like this, a local race like this. Some of these teams are literally riding in their home region. So that's why riders like that go in the breakaway. It's your for Oiskaltel and the other three riders in the breakaway were riders from those teams. Oliveira for ABTF. Nunes for Radio Popular and Matias for Tafer. In all honesty, I don't know too much about these riders except for a few results they had in the past. This break was uh, doomed to not make it today and the tempo in the peloton was led by the sprinting teams we were expecting to uh, try and prep a proper sprint for their leaders. We had Quickstep, not the Koenig anymore, leading it out, well, at the front of the peloton, working, pulling together with Absent Phoenix. Phoenix um, and also Entremarché, one T for Christoph. So those three teams were doing the pulling and slowly but surely we saw the gap go down when uh, when it started mattering. And then something uh, pretty crazy happened, like about 75% into the race, where at some point two things happened at the same time and you're going to have to tell me which you think happened first. Quick step, pacing into a crosswind section or a crash that split up the group? Because both seem to be happening at the same exact time for me. I think they're two things which are related to each other. The pace very quickly increased in the peloton. Suddenly, people are overlapping wheels, panicking, and on the left-hand side of the road, there was a crash. Portuguese champion, uh, top 10 contender, some say top 5 contender for this race. Jose Neves and W5-2 caught out. But none of the other big GC favorites caught out. The World Tour teams were ahead of it. And there was this crosswind section. People tried. Intermarche tried. Warren Bargui drifted off the front. Arkea seemed most interested in trying. But then the they reached a headwind <laughs> section and they just sat up. Yep. And then we didn't really see. Uh, we were like, where's this second group? Surely they must be filtering back. And they were going slowly. like. Quick step blocking because they knew there was another fast run in. And then suddenly, just like the fast run in before, they get to this next crosswind fast section and another crash over some sort of bridge. And yeah, again, I think 
W52 were caught behind that, but not too many other GC favourites. What did you see from Ineos here, Benji, in the run-in and their hierarchy? Because Thomas appears to be doing domestique work. Yeah, like you said, those two crashes seem to happen out of like the speed going up and so forth. And we saw that Ineos was trying to keep their leaders at the front. And like you say, the hierarchy was something I wasn't necessarily expecting because Thomas was protecting other people in his team. We saw the likes of a uh, hater in there and also in third wheel, I think Martinez. So perhaps Martinez is the leader here. I was kind of hoping he would be knowing he's got a time trial skill, he's a proper climber. And early season Thomas is not always the best Thomas, which means that a rider like Martinez might get an opportunity on something like this. And it seemed like that was the thing today. And they they were uh, working with Thomas and keeping their team in front of potential crashes like the ones they just had already. But they were not the only teams that were trying to keep themselves at the front. Anton Marché with like four or five riders after this uh, second crash, including Girmay working, Christoph working himself, because... Not only do these teams want to make sure their leader gets to the line, but this entire team wants to work to keep the echelon going that they've got going on. And Kristoff was willing to offer more energy into that than perhaps Jakobsen, who I didn't see that much being the front man uh-huh. of the echelon himself because he had teammates doing that. And Remco Evenpool was one of the riders that did that as well. But after these crashes, we quickly saw that we were going towards a, uh, a sprint in the final, right? Exactly, and predictably, quick step when they wanted to lit it up with Avonapol almost dropping Lampard off the wheel. They it was a quick, almost downhill run in as a sweeping left hand roundabout, and again, like in uh, whatever the previous race is, that Valenciana. Valenciana. I was like, if Lampard <laughs> loses Avonapol's heel wheel, wheel, heel wheel, wheel heel in hit wheel. Um, Avonapol can win this stage, but yep. I think the plan is Jakobsen sprints. So Avonapol lit it up, strung it out. Intermarche couldn't. It was like Valenciana. Once Avonapol and Lampard got that connection right, Intermarche lit out, couldn't do anything for Christoph, even though those guys aren't doing very well. And the only fly in the ointment, and it kind of helped Quickstep because Lampard got redlined by Avonapol, was I think Dan Hul who's a yep. Neopro big unit on Trek Segafredo, uh, second GC Flanders Tour tomorrow, Flanders Tomorrow Tour last year. He did like a last-second Cancellara-style attack, and actually, but, if he timed it better, yeah, might have gone somewhere. Exactly. Because he didn't. He did it at the moment where they were going just into a, a roundabout. And if you attack just before a roundabout, then you're going to break in the corner anyway. So he had to break the second he came in front of Evenepoel, and Evenepoel was able to like straight up get to his wheel and just stay in that wheel. But it looked like he kept pacing for a bit, perhaps looking for a gap behind him and so forth. But I don't know. We know that he's got a bit of a sprint. I would have liked to have seen him just sit in the wheel of those sprints and see if he could sprint to a podium here as well. But... uh it was great to see that because I love seeing youngsters grow up and uh, it's certainly a, a guy with potential, but it certainly was also the moment where we saw, honestly, that Remco pull, like you said, it destroyed the peloton, right? Because five, six riders were left. There was a split. They'd gone into a little quick step train. It looked like the quick step video they released on Twitter where they're doing sprint train practice <laughs> in Spain. Yeah. Like seriously, except they had Jordi Mayus 
on Jakobsen's wheel and Christoph. Eventually, Bert van Leeuwenhoek pulls over uh, Dan Hul, uh, winds up his lead out, and with Jakobsen getting dropped off with 200 to go with fresh air in front of him, we know the result already. The controversy here is more sprint deviations, uh, which we've just seen after we started recording the news come through of that. But before we get into the top 10 and that sprint deviation discussion, mention our show partner Zwift. Getting set up to ride indoors can seem daunting, but it's easier than it looks at first. You just need a device like Windows or Mac desktop, laptop, tablet, even a phone. Now with the Zwift app on it, you need your bike, and a wheel-on or wheel-off trainer, and you're good to go on Zwift. So we just thought you'd let you know that if you want to join the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast Zwift group rides, great one again on Tuesday. Next Tuesday, we're going again, 6 p.m. UK time, 7 p.m. European time. But Geordie Mayus Benji, following the wheel of Jakobsen in this sprint, was well, the problem was Jakobsen was waving around and he had Christoph behind him. And so, when Mayus was fo- like following the draft of Jakobsen, he then went to the barriers and Christoph was alongside him and Christoph got squeezed. We just heard out that Mayus got relegated. I've never seen this a rider get relegated who's in the draft of the guy sprinting in front of him following that draft. I've never seen it before. Me neither. And when we take a look at the rule that we've discussed for ages now, it's you have to deviate from your lane and then danger. But there's also that aspect that says after launching your sprint, and this was not what I see as after launching your sprint. But on the other hand, it is deviating and endangering. So I think it's a problem with the rule once again. and. I think it was dangerous, but should he be relegated based on the rule? On paper, no. Well, the problem stems originally from Jakobsen not sprinting in a straight line. And he's winning anyway, and he's not endangering anyone because he's cleaning it up. He's way better than these guys. Yeah. But he's, he's sprinting all over the place, and Mayus is following his back wheel. And in following his back wheel... He squeezes Christoph. Now, Mayus goes a little bit more to the barrier, but this seems to be a point of emphasis, Benji. We haven't convened our sprint police uh, meeting since, well, whilst there was Tour of Oman, but there was the Richese relegation yesterday, which was the likes of which I've never seen before. There was the Barbara uh, <laughs> Garishi. Garishi. That was deserved, sorry. I I think that one was clearly deserved. I I, I know. It it, it was. But I'm saying we've seen stuff like that that hasn't been sanctioned before. And I think this seems to be a point of emphasis. Like in the NBA sometimes, when they start a new season, they say to the teams, the coaches, the players, hey, we're going to call illegal screens. I know we've let it slide before, but we're actually going to – call them as fouls now i don't know if that's officially or unofficially been said to the teams but they appear to be calling it tighter and 
if it's consistent throughout the year, maybe we will need we can disband the sprint police. We'll wait to see. But I think Benji, they still need to change the rules. Because if I'm Mayus and I'm Bora Hansgrower, wouldn't yeah. you be saying right now, what rule did I break? Yeah, I agree. Because on paper he didn't break the deviation rule, which is well, how we see it, because it's never been properly de- defined in the rules what after you're launching your sprint means. So it's how the UCI commissaire at that point perceives it. And we try and figure out how they perceive it based on previous relegations. But now that they're changing, it's it's difficult for us to follow what definition they're starting to use. Because right now, I don't know what their reasoning or their thought process is in launching your sprint at the moment. Me either. Um, it would probably hey. take... It would take it going to the Tour de France, someone get relegated from a huge stage win and then contesting it to really find out or then changing the rules. But anyway, final top 10. Jakobsen, Lecoq, Brian Cockard, Christoph, Michele Gazzoli, Rui Oliveira, Bert van Leeuwenhoek, Evenepoel, Pollitt, McNulty, Foss, so three quick steppers in the final top 10. I'm going to nitpick a little bit, Benji. Mm-hmm. Why is Evenepoel doing a full gas effort chasing after the split with Jakobsen and Bert van Leeuwenhoek pacing the group behind when he should be resting his legs for GC? Isn't that just an unnecessary effort? You never see... I know... He likes to do the lead-up, but Contador and Co., they wouldn't be trying to do extra efforts there. Completely agree. I think it's a mistake to do that. Now, it's not the big deal, but I think it's perhaps the adrenaline and so forth of trying to figure out if Jakobsen's winning at the front and so forth, trying to get a good view, stuff like that. But it's just unnecessary at that point. And yes, he should have been just waiting because like, who's ahead of him? Von Lederberg, Oliveira, Gazzoli, and three sprinters that get into to the top three, Christoph Kukar and Jakobsen. Like, these riders are not going to be winning the Volta Awalgarf and will not tread in his GC, Lecoq. most likely. What? Sorry? Kokar? <laughs> yeah, Lecoq is on good form. Jesus. Did you not see him up here yeah. at Passage? Can't wait for his time and trial. <laughs> Provence. Oh, jeez, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, otherwise, we have Godou here, speaking of good time trialists. He opted to go for the race in the Iberian Peninsula that has a 32k TT rather than Andalusia with no TT and rolly punchy terrain but credit to him I guess maybe he's trying to practice it in advance of the tour for which case it does make sense but yeah that's the Volta Algarve um pretty good stage for Quickstep I don't think they could be much uh happier than that Jakobsen looks in great shape yeah. the only shame Benji is we're probably not going to see Jakobsen Bennett Ewan Merlier really line up. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot. What happened to Merlier? Actually, I don't know either. I didn't see Merlier at the finish line. Good point. Good point. He's gone. Yeah. He wasn't there, apparently. Perhaps due to, pre- due to the pressure of the uh, echelons and then the final stretch that he didn't have it, I guess. I think Philipson's a little bit better in a hectic run-in. Yep. I agree there. Then again, he won hectic run-in at the Tour de France, right? Merlier? True, he did win that stage three, but he was being led out by the goat Philipson. Tomorrow's stage should be one to watch. Alba Fira to Alto de Foya. 
7.7K, 6.1%. It's the hardest finish probably after a 10K, 5% climb, 182Ks. I'm hoping W5-2 can show something with Neves and try and put Avonapol under a little bit of pressure, but that'll just be the stage win because they've lost so much time on GC. And who have you got, Benji? Avonapol's got to be the favourite. I think Remco wins that. He's looking in uh, incredible form. Yes, we've got the likes of McNulty, Foss, Danny Martinez and so forth. I do expect a Ineos train there, knowing that they've got a squad for it. Oh, yeah. What do you expect of Tom Pitcock as a rider in the squad of Ineos in this race? It'll be interesting. It, I have no idea of their shape. I think they're going for Martinez on GC. Mm-hmm. So whether that plays into it. I've uh, got Jay Vine here, but he was unwell at Antalya. I think Godu's the big threat. This suits him. Yeah, but it doesn't matter I for think GC. he's a bit punchier than Emko. He, he can have the stage. Yeah, but <laughs> Remco's not going to give him the stage. He's not. Uh, no way. I don't see it for Godu. Higita? The thing about Higita is he won that Colombian Championships, but let's be honest, that's not against the top level riders in the world. So I can't yeah. tell you how strong that performance was. So we're kind of in an unknown uh, when it comes to Higita. So the parkour technically should on paper fit him relatively well. It's not the craziest climb when it comes to the gradients. It's, yeah. It's kind of like Jabel Jais, but twice. Does that make any sense? Yeah, or like split up in the yeah. middle. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a decent one to tune yeah. into. Neves, Hater, Pidcock, Martinez, Higita, Guru, uh, Foss, and of course, Avonapol, and maybe McNulty. He's in yeah. incredible form as well. But that was the Volta Algarve. Moving on now to the Vuelta Andalusia, where we had our first breakaway success of the season this was a rolly stage it had like an an early climb long climb which maybe factored into that break getting such a big lead and then a punchy 1.3k 7.2 percent finish and well not predictably we had a Benoit Cosnefra here sent to a Spanish race with a puncher finish for Azure Desert Citroën we had Van Seven on Honoré for Quick Step. Movistar had Gonzalo Serrano and no Valverde because he's been unwell. And he won the first stage of Ruta del Sol last year in a punchy finish ahead of Ethan Hayter. We had United Vice here for Ineos and no one took control, Benji. Yep. What's the reason? Is there a rational reason? Well, I think there were a few teams that took control and I think one team that actually like spent themselves completely, but... There were some teams that we expected to take control, like you said earlier, from the likes of a Cosnefoy, that didn't do too much. I think at in this stage, I saw Ajazer pace like a solid three minutes in total with one rider, and that's not good enough. In the end, they uh, certainly panicked, but I do want to uh, firstly shine a light on uh, the breakaway before we get to uh, dissing True. on the riders that are uh, mistakenly not pacing in the back. <laughs> And that includes the following riders, two riders from Sports Vlaanderen, Balwaze, Lindsay de Wilder and Rune Herregots. We've spoken about Herregots quite a few times in the past already. And uh, you always say the same thing about him. He's beaten Remco in a time trial. But uh, next to that, Mate, I think correct. he also has a result in Mallorca Challenges last year. Was it Serra de Tramuntana? I'm going to check fairly quickly. Ye- no, Calvia and Andrax, third and fifth there on Hilly Parkos. So it certainly tells you that the guy can get over hills and this parkour had some hills in it. So that fit in my eyes. When it comes to the rest of the riders in that 
breakaway group. Again, pro Conte teams like Oiskaltel with Isasa, Cuadros for Cajarural, and a guy, Ander Okamika for Burgas, also a pretty good guy. Had some decent results in Copa Sabatini last year, I think 8th or 9th, 9th, and 10th in races like Classic Rara Atlantic. No, those are not the biggest races, but those are races where you're like, okay, this one's actually not that bad of a rider. So, yeah, as a consequence, if you see this breakaway, he's one of the riders that could compete. Mark Christian for Iolo, I, did, I didn't see it happen, sorry. I don't think he had the punch for it. Stephen Bassett, that's one of the riders I also had an eye on for human-powered health. Basically, Rally, because I will not repeat that long name for the rest of the yeah. season, Jesus Christ. <laughs> And that man can actually properly climb. Won the Joe Martin stage race in 2019. Has a decent time trial if my memory serves me right, although I can't see it in recent years. But um, in all honesty, that breakaway was uh, on 15 minutes after 25 kilometers of the peloton. And I was like, okay, if this gap is correct, then uh, it's closed. The end. Breakaway wins. (laughs) But then it started becoming weird because the gap never changed for like 70 kilometers until the next KOM point, because they were only counting the gaps at the KOM points. And then it was suddenly seven minutes, and I panicked, because I I was shouting, okay, this guy from the break is going to win from the start already. So uh, I I was stressed for for my guy in the breakaway. And it continued onwards. It went to five minutes. I was like, okay. Apparently UAE was pulling for the likes of Kovi and Trentin, and those were the riders apparently that took the whole gap down. And when the footage started kicking in, the gap actually went up again to 650 or 650 something like that and that's when i saw ajdis airpace for a tiny bit with one rider and i saw bike exchange do quite a lot of work i think that's the one team in the peloton together with ue earlier in the parts in the earlier parts of the race those two teams that did really proper work to try and make something of this but we saw bike exchange riders just hammer it at the front of that peloton because other teams weren't really helping them and one by one they went off the front and you're not going to do it like that. And I think they were doing it for Simon Yates, but they've also got the likes of a Smith and Schultz. But I think this finish, basically a Walmart Murdehui, is a bit too hard for them. Yeah, a little bit hard for Smith, who's more a guy you'd want to see get over it and then contest a flat sprint. But yeah, credit to Bex for pacing, I guess. As Dessert brought a strong ruler squad with the Wolf, the Narsens, Van Hoche and Van Avermaet, as well as Kosnifra and O'Connor, I was like, surely they want to spend them all to pace for Kosnifra. Big chance for him. I mean, we don't know what's going on with COVID at the moment. Total Energy have four riders here at this race. Like, it's decimating the peloton. And UAE Pace, they have five riders, so they can't spend that many. But they got Kovi in magic, magic form. Eventually, Ineos kind of took control. I'm not sure we can trust those Spanish time gaps. Uh, Twitter started doing it, and it was went down to three minutes. Breakaway still pacing. Ineos were just like, let's not let this get out of control. Heragos is a still a pretty good rider. They've got Rodriguez, Godriguez, C-Rod here for GC. Ben Turner, the big Neopro Roulet, started pacing as well as Sheffield and I thought it wasn't a severe pace because I thought if they really wanted Narvaez to win this they would have gone a little bit harder Movistar nowhere uh so Gonzalo Serrano poor guy decent legs <laughs> no chance but in the break Benji so break's got 5k's left or oh, 10k's left break's got three minutes not being brought back even with the 1700 meter 1500 meter rise at the end 
what were Balwaza doing when they had two riders starting to attack? Yeah, it was a, a bit odd, I would say, because like you've got Lindsay de Velder, who in my eyes was the weaker of the two. Rune Hergots was one of the strong riders in the breakaway, so I expected him to be the guy for Sport Vlaanderen to be the man. And then we saw Rune Hergots at certain points, first of all, go to the left side of the road and fasten himself a tiny bit. And we saw that he was basically trying to get away. And Lindsay de Velder at the back of the group. So I was like, okay, they're trying to attack with their strongest rider right now. I would, have, I would have expected it the opposite way, where you try and do a reverse lead out, basically. Try and weaken the others for then the later attack of Rune Gerogatz, you know? But they were doing it the opposite way. Exactly. And I think it was probably because Gerogatz was feeling very strong today. But if you keep doing that, then it's going to be a, a potential implosion towards the end. And that happened once. Then a few uh, minutes later, the group came back together because I think Mark Christian and Lindsay de Velde dropped for a tiny bit. And uh, Okamika and Quadras were able to follow the front together with Isasa. And that group came back together, stayed quiet for a bit. Once again, an attack once again. And that was, I think, more into the descent as well later on. Multiple attacks by Rune Gerugots. And do you think that he was uh, overextending? I have no idea what he was doing. I thought they should have kept it together, paced it to the last climb, maintained as big a GC gap as possible to see where he can finish on GC, and he'd probably win the stage anyway. So I have no explanation. They get to the base of the climb. The gap is now down a fair bit to 90 seconds, 1 minute 40, thanks to Ineos pacing and Ejitoir coming to the front very, very late at the end, but it was too late for them really. And... We saw some attacks on the base. We saw the human-powered health rider Bassett attacking, counter-attacks. It all came back together. And then on the steepest section, Bassett went very early to gangly rider Hesjedal looking <laughs> American. Yeah. Went very, very early. Hergots in the wheel. They dropped all the other riders. And Bassett got to the steepest section, 150 meters to go, 100 meters to go, and almost collapsed, drifted to the side. Herogos surged past him, gave him a shoulder, and then Bassett nearly fell over. I mean, Herogos not in the wrong at all. Um, Bassett was moving across, and Herogos wins with a seated sprint to take his second win in two races in a row because he won Ronda van Drenthe at the last race yep. of the year last year in a solo move and takes the leader's jersey. Meanwhile, behind... The man you've been talking about, Benji, 31 seconds behind, very good legs. Covey yep. dropped everybody. And then UAE had Trenton behind Serrano. So I think UAE got kind of ruined today. They've only got five guys and they were at the behest of the bigger team's pacing and maybe they would have won this stage. Or do you think it played out differently for Covey because the break was going to win? I don't know. I do want to entertain that idea by saying, for example, Ajazera started pacing just before the bottom of that climb, which means that the tempo went up in the last three kilometers before that climb started, which could have weakened the legs of the competitors of Kovi and so forth, meaning it's more of a climby climb and not a punchy climb because they have more uh, energy spent before the climb. I don't think it's that big of a deal the speed at which that descent was taken towards the energy and the legs of the likes of a Cosnefroy and so forth on paper. But the attack of Kovi was perhaps because they tried to do a bit of a reverse lead out on the climb, tried to attack away with Kovi. If he gets caught, Trenton's a defensive leader. But the problem is, if you don't catch the breakaway, this is all useless. <laughs> so uh, exactly. the only thing we saw today is that Kovi has good legs 
And with the stage that we'll talk about in a bit, about tomorrow, I think he's one of the candidates to uh, take that home in my eyes, personally. Oh, okay. I mean, I'll round out the top 10. Hergos Bassett, Okamika, Isasa, De Vilda, Christian Covey, Serrano, Trentin, and Kosnerfoy, who I would have had as the favorite for the stage. Simon Yates actually just behind Kosnerfoy, yep. so looking pretty sharp. Clark is there as well. All the GC guys there, no one really lost time except... Except Lander. Lander lost 10 seconds Jesus. on this to Hagen Co. Jeez. That's not a good sign. Um, but then again, it's the good. first race of the season yeah. for him. So it's... Yeah, but... Yeah, you're right. It's there's, a Spanish one. There's also no bonus seconds in this race, I'm pretty sure. So that means oh, that really? if he takes a stage, he won't get those 10 seconds bonus. But I do want to mention Hedekots for a bit more. He's a youngster on Sport Vlaanderen Balwaza. A victory like this for a team like that, a team that focuses on developing young riders, trying to get them to Lotto Sudal, the Koenig Quickstep, Quickstep these days. Other teams winning a stage like this in Andalusia is insanely great. And they've done that multiple years. I think three years ago, they didn't have a victory, but last year, they won a sprint stage with Arne Marit, and they also won the Ronde van Drenthe, like you said, but they also won something else, and that was a stage in the Balwaza Belgium Tour with Robert Gijs against uh, Evenepoel and the other guy. Was it Steven? Oh, that's right. I don't, I'm not sure. No, nah, not Steven. It was another Conti. Yeah, guy. you're right. You're right. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that was uh, another great victory for them. It's a dot pro race. This is big for them. What do you expect for Rune Gerrgaltz in the future? Because contracts up <laughs> after this year, this means that... Uh, you know it. Quick step? Yeah. Quick step knocking, surely. But maybe into Marche, there's more options for him. He's kind of, uh, oh, he could go. He, he, he'll be in World Tour next yeah, year. He pretty, has to. Pretty obvious. Uh, he's very, very good rider. Anyway, tomorrow's stage is the Alcala La Real finish. It's got a little cobbled ramp. I made a video of this with Ethan Hayter last year, the finish. No, sorry. I made the video a couple of weeks ago when I was in Valencia uh, of the finish last year where Hayter destroyed everybody. 152Ks. Up and down all day. A lot of accumulated climbing in this stage, and it's all about that punchy finish. Again, the same guys. Benji's mentioned Kovi, Serrano, uh, Lutschenko, Kosnerfoy. Yeah. I'm going with Lutschenko, Benji. Lutschenko is definitely a rider that will that will do good this week and might be. Actually, Lutschenko was the guy I saw winning the whole thing, personally. But... True. I'd like to see Kovi win tomorrow. He's already won one race this year. I think it was in Murcia where he attacked away very late. Good tactics by UAE there. So uh, perhaps they can do something similar, attack a bit earlier. Or if they just ramp it up towards that Cobble Hill, would they go for Kovi or Trenton? I actually don't know at this point. Kobe. That's a fun part of it. They should, right? But Trenton's Kobe. better at the moment than last year at the end of the year in my eyes. Trenton, maybe he's dropped a bit of weight and he's, he's punched you uphill. Ineos will go for Narvaez, the little Lutschenko, should be good. Uh, it might be a little bit hard for Gernai, who yeah. wasn't as sharp in the finish today. But looking forward to that. Thanks for listening, as always. We'll be back with the double Algarve Andalusia recaps tomorrow. Thanks to Zwift, as always, for supporting the podcast, and we'll see you tomorrow.